everyone. Welcome to Everyman BJJ, a weekly show covering MMA and BJJ news and training tips. All righty, here we are. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Noah Green, my man, Dewey Cooper. I go back further with Dewey Cooper. I think I go back 2005, 2006, like 15 years with this guy. Dewey, for those of you who don't know him, this is how I want to describe it to you. So if you're in the gym, if you're ever in an MMA gym or a boxing gym, and this dude is in there, you're going to hear him. You're going to hear him on a motivational level, on a barking level. It's a distinct voice. You got a perfect voice. By the way, Dewey, you should be doing music. There should be some famous rappers that have Dewey Cooper doing voiceovers or something or a little part of the of the hook because you got that voice. We're going to talk about that a little later. But so Dewey is, he's got, now this is what I love about you too, Dewey. You know, you, you when I first met you, you were fighting in K1 where the dudes are fighting three people in one night. You were like 80 pounds undersized. You were by far the smallest dude in the tournament with some of these, just Goliaths. And that's where you stood out to me. That's where you made an impression. And what I love about you, you're coaching Francis Nagano. You're coaching Kevin Lee, Keith Lee. You got, you got some, you know, some super talented boxing talent. You're living this. But what I love about you is that with you, it's not just a motivational stick. You're a dude that if anybody puts on the video and watches Dewey Cooper fight, like it's so you're so credible, you're so believable because the video shows you're not asking the fighters to do anything that you wouldn't do. You're willing to fall down on your sword. You're willing to go through any fire out there. And so you're not just a guy that happens to have a great voice and happens to know the right the right motivational things to say. There's so much credibility. And I, I was telling Noah this when I described him because Noah, you know, you and I go back 15 years, Noah who's a blue belt, Henzo Gracie, and has done, you know, no one's done very well in business, among other things. Very smart guy, our co-host. But I said to Noah, I said, um, the thing about Dewey is I, I can't imagine Dewey, a fighter, talking back to you. Even if a fighter could kick your butt, there's fighters that could maybe look. Dewey's a little older. Some of these dudes know the MMA. The respect is you command so much respect that I don't, I can't foresee even a guy that could probably kick your butt. I don't foresee them talking to you, you know, talking to you sideways, or I don't foresee that. I don't know. Have you ever had any, I guess, have you ever had any issues with, with, with fighters in terms of the respect thing? Um, no, because fighters, we all have the same type of, uh, uh, relatable spirit. And, and, and I sweat with them and bleed with them every day. So they know that um, they respect me for how I work. I'm not just a guy barking orders. I run with them. I train with them. I spar with them. Um, I, I, sacrifice, I sacrifice my actual body for them. And they're a lot younger than me. Some of them are much stronger than me. And I still spar with them and, and do whatever I can do to get them ready. So I've never had a fight that really disrespect me uh, on a fight level because, hey, I will knuckle up. That that don't work. I got the heaters in the car anyway. So whatever level we get to, we're, we're acclimated for that. But the guys know me. We work hard. And, and everyone respects a person with a real work ethic. And I think I win my fighters over that way. 
You know, this is the thing about you. I've known you like 15 years, and this is a compliment. You ain't changed a damn bit. You look the same as when I saw you. And and like you said, you are up early. You're hold, you're holding mitts. I mean, any any man who holds mitts for Francis Ngannou should get like that should be coach of the year right there. Like coach of the year just just being able to tolerate having the shoulder structure and even with the padding just getting hit thousands of times by Francis Ngannou and holding mitts speaks volumes about your toughness because I don't think many uh, trainers can sign up for that but you look you look the same as you did 15 years ago when I saw you I think Jeff Mayweather you were working with Jeff Mayweather went to Jeff Mayweather's garage and we did an no, interview no. there I want to talk about Francis and yeah yeah, in my garage, but Jeff was training me at my house. Yes, yes. There you go. So, so this is what I want. I want to talk about Francis in a second, but I want to talk. Go back to the K one days because a lot of people didn't see that. And and at the time, your dad, your dad was dying, and it was it was one of my favorite stories that I've ever written. It was a very, it it really did tug at the heartstrings because. What made an impression on me, as I said earlier, is this guy's 190 pounds fighting guys 265, 280, 285. And by the way, you're not going to say it, but I will. A lot of those dudes look juiced. So they were like cartoonish, juiced up on who knows what. You, I was looking at you with the seeing eye test. I'm like, this dude ain't on nothing but skill and courage and, bra and bravery. So I went and interviewed you. I wanted to get your story. And at the time, your dad, your dad was was dying at a at a at a hospital, and that was breaking your heart. And I remember you were tell us the story. Your dad was only able to do a few things to communicate with you. Your dad couldn't speak. Tell us a little bit about your dad and about the the promises you made to them and, and what it was like in the in the final weeks of, of your dad's life. It was crazy. I had a boxing fight because I was boxing top rank promotion slash guilty boxing, and I was signed with K1. I had a boxing fight. I'll never forget it. I was the main event, so I was the last fight of the night. And um, as I do my ring walk, my parents always sat in my corner, like front row. And I'll never forget. I'm walking out, and I looked over there and didn't see my mom and dad. And it freaked me out psychologically really quickly uh because i'm like damn in my mind what the what the, what the fuck they weren't there anyway I, I ended up winning the boxing fight and after the fight i got the news that my dad had a pun he had a stroke called a pun stroke p-o-n-s stroke one of the most rare strokes there is takes all your motor skills and basically you're a prisoner within your own body um uh, it, it was very painful. So after after I won the fight, I looked over there. My parents aren't there. I was a little upset about them not being there. I didn't know what happened. I didn't think something tragic like this had happened. I thought maybe the fight took too long. My dad wanted to go home. Remember, my dad was a force recon Marine, fought in Vietnam, three different tours, all kind of medals. He was a real serious dude. And he didn't like to be around crowds like that anyway, obnoxious, drunk dudes talking shit. You know, my dad was a different type of guy. So in my mind, I thought they left because my dad couldn't tolerate the drunkenness and the, and the, and the people. 
Uh, so I was kind of upset, like, damn, I can't believe they left before my fight. I got the news, it shattered my heart. Anyway, he had a punch stroke. He was in the hospital for about three months and he couldn't move anything. All he could do was blink his eyelids. So we created language between each other. One blink uh, is no, two blinks, yes. You know, all these sort of things. And it was a painful, painful thing for me. Real quick, a story you don't know about. I went to the hospital every day for my dad, like any any son would. Um, I was training the craziest MMA fighter war machine back then. I was the coach who turned war machine pro. You know, too bad John, he's in, he's in prison right now. Sad for him, the way all that went down. But I know war machine. I called him John. I know him very well. He had his first fight until one of his pro debut, and I'm the one who took him there. And I went to the hospital every day with my dad, and my dad stayed alive until the day I left. I told him I was going to Mexico for a fight. I'll be back the next day. It broke my heart. I found out when I was in Mexico. After War Machine won his professional debut, and my dad had just passed away. And we ran from the event. War Machine, Eric Del Ferio, who has uh, Alliance famous alliance jim in san diego now they ran me we ran to the border running through cars on the freeway to get me to the border and jumped on a plane from san diego back to vegas to be with my family um and right after that of course i had my fight with gary goodrich coming up um like two weeks away so the funeral arrangements all that stuff happened i i had my dad's funeral on thursday and flew back the next day for the weigh-in Gary Goodrich fight in K1. And I wasn't going to do the fight. I was really mentally distraught and just really weird and like a weird place psychologically. But my mom told me, your dad doesn't want you to not fight. He, he knows it's in your heart. He knows it's what you love to do. He supports it. So do not miss the fight just because of him. He, he's in heaven watching down, praying for you. You know, all the stuff that a mom would say. But I actually buried my dad on Thursday, flew back from Houston, Texas, Friday morning, did the weigh-in, and fought uh, Saturday night um, against Gary Goodrich in a fight where um, I beat him every round. I don't know what the other judges were seeing, but uh, that's a whole other story. Um, but it was hard for me. The whole fight was like, I call myself the Black Cobra because I get into a mind state where I'm not this person. Black Cobra fought, but Dewey wasn't there at all. I was still heartbroken about my father. And, it is the weirdest fight ever. I fought a good fight. I looked good in the fight, but it was the first time I ever fought when I felt like I wasn't there. I was completely numb. I just wasn't there. Dewey wasn't there, uh, but the Cobra was somehow able to fight that night. It was a crazy experience. Uh, Dewey, when you when you work with fighters and they have stuff that's going on outside of the cage, outside of the gym, real life stuff, girlfriend breakups, divorces, whatever they're dealing with, family stuff. How do you try to get that fighter centered? Because people always have stuff going on outside. They have the same problems in life that we do. How do you, what do you tell the fighter? How do you coach them so that they can focus in that, in that environment and separate all of the you know, the things that are going on outside that might be distractions. How do you keep the fighter focused so that so that they can stay focused on their craft instead of distracted by outside stuff? 
you know, I had I had a long fight career myself, so I've been through it all. Split up with girlfriend and fought the next day. I'm, you know, uh, um, you know, my my dad passing away. My mom later years later passing away. Fighting after that, uh, I've been through all the adversities and sadness of life and maintained a legitimate uh, uh, winning fighting career. What I tell people is very simple: um, when we fight. We have to tap into something bigger than us. We have to tap into something bigger than Francis and Gunnell, bigger than Kevin Lee, bigger than Dewey Cooper. We have to tap into something else. The true essence of us, not this physical housing that people love or hate. And it's very simple. I call mine Black Cobra. You know, Black Cobra is free of emotions. He's free of of stress, he's free of pain, he's free of everything that that we value and we weigh on this earth. Um, basically, what I'm saying, you 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 have to tap into your soul, your true calling, and if you tap into that, it doesn't matter if your mom passes, your dad passes, your girlfriend cheated on you with your best friend. When it's time, when you tap into that, everything gets silent and known. And that's my secret uh, to big going through that adversity. I went through, was able to fight and and never do drugs and never turn to an alcoholic or, and or even. I, by the way, I don't smoke at all. Nothing but smoke weed. It's legal now, but I never needed any chemical to take me to that euphoric, uh, stationary place that 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 evens you. Um, so I tell my fighters that uh, I, I, guys go through adversity uh, uh, and, and I just tell them, man, listen, tap into that. None of that shit really matters anyway. It's what's inside of us that I happen to call mine Black Cobra. Francis happened to call his the Predator. Kevin Lee happens to call his the Motown Phenom. When you lock into that, man, it's unlimited the things you can accomplish and do. Where, you know, the interesting thing about you, everybody has a different style. Every coach, yours is very, I mean, you're talking, you're pumping yourself up, you're pumping them up. Um, you know, tell us about your style, about your style of coaching, because it's a very, I, again, to me, it seems like it's, we're going to outwork them, right? Whoever that is, we're going to outwork them. We're going to outdesire yes. them. You're you're yes. you're a natural motivator, but tell us about that style because some people might think that that's too much. It might be too much for them. Where the guy, you know, you're hitting the mitts and there's a lot. You know, you're there and it's like this is like it's almost like Tony Robbins holding the damn mitts. It's like damn, Tony Robbins is holding the mitts today, right? Like, tell us about your style and tell me some stories about that. Have you ever gotten any feedback? Like, you know, what's the feedback oh. from the athletes in terms of that style? Well, well um, earlier you mentioned Francis and Gunnell holding pads for him. And yeah, yep. it is painful, but everything comes full circle. When I, Dewey Cooper, Dewey Cooper can't hold pads for Francis and Gunnell. It's too fucking painful. But Black Cobra can. I, I flip into that Black Cobra mode, and Francis is cracking my chest plate before. He separated my rib kicking me and knee me to the body and I still just keep going because when I'm in black I can just do it it's crazy I go home and I'm hurting bad but at that moment I can honestly just do it and 
That's what I do every day. I've been tapping into Black Cobra since I started fighting as a little kid, nine, ten years old. So it's something that's real tangible. I actually go numb. And real fast about Francis and Gunn, it's painful holding pass for him, but fight week is a freaking nightmare. Because remember, I'm the guy that has to spar with him. We literally spar every day up to the weigh-in. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three rounds, three five-minute rounds with this monster. And Francis hits and kicks hard, even when he's going easy. I'm the guy getting hit by that monster. Fight week is a nightmare. Everything else is 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 uh, pretty acceptable. Um, you know, you you would, be, you would be a great guy to mic up. You know how in the NFL they mic up. Like if I if I can only pick one trainer to mic up, right? You would be the guy that I would be like, let's mic him. I mean, you're already mic'd, but but that's number one. You're you're maybe the most quotable, and and you you just come up with stuff. You don't even you just come like on the fly. You just come up with 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 like either, you know a, a quotable whatever like a Deweyism a Cooperism. Yeah. Um, yes. Let me ask you this, Dewey. What what makes it worse since you're sacrificing your body, particularly for a guy who might hit harder than any UFC heavyweight has ever hit? He might be the hardest puncher and striker, the kicks and everything. We haven't really seen that. You're the guy holding the pads for that. What makes it worth it for you? Because a lot of people are interested in their own success. I've seen you fight. I, you're as brave of a fighter as anybody I've seen. I've seen what you'll go through. You are extremely correct. In, in a sport of alphas and people that have a high pain threshold, you're up there in the top 1%. So I know how far you'll go for Dewey, for the Black Cobra, for that code. What makes it worth it? A lot of people aren't as interested in other people's success. You are. What makes it worth it to be up, going to Mount Charleston with them running at 5 a.m.? What makes it worth it to take that pounding with, with Nagano? Because even though I'm sure you're doing well financially, you could make all the money you're making doing other things. You're doing it. I know it's for pure reasons. It's not for the money. It's not for the fame. This is who you are. What makes it worth it to 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 live this lifestyle, to invest so much in them, in the fighters, and take that pounding on your body? What makes it worth it, honestly, is just the fighter appreciating that I help improve them um, as a martial artist and hopefully as a man. Um, remember, I don't drink alcohol or any of that. Um, after fights, it's, there's nothing wrong with any of that. After fights, guys are celebrating and all of that, and and I just won't drink with them. I'll do like lemon, uh, uh, pineapple juice or cranberry juice. And I, I tell them, you know, I told you guys I don't drink. So if I get drunk with you after the fight, are you going to respect me deep down inside in that place where only you can hear? We have we cannot be walking conditions. We have to live a, a real pure life. And so when I'm with a fighter, if I if I can help train them and help improve them and they feel at the end of the day when it's all said and done, man, do we help me out? Do we really uh, was a necessary thing for me to catapult myself to where I ended up. That's what it's about for me. Uh, people don't realize how hard we work and the things we do. Um, and as long as a fighter loves what I bring to the table, hey, 
That's the reward I need because I've won championships. I got inducted in the Masters Martial Arts of Hall of Fame in 2008. I've had groupies and my DM blown up before. I've traveled the world. Uh, I'm not, I don't care about any of that. I want the guys like Kevin Lee, Francis Ngannou, Keith Lee, uh, everybody I got, uh, Timmy Kwamba. Broxton Sanjiro, uh, uh, Louis, I mean, uh, Carlos Takum, you know, Jesse Vargas, uh, Jessica Ricosi, uh, all these type of people, uh, Julia Budd, all these type of people, I want them to appreciate, uh, my, my, uh, 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 my, you know, the, the, the jewels I gave them, you know what I mean? Uh, what I did to help them become better people and not just fighting uh, every aspect, living a clean life, being being a gracious person and being a great parent also. Um, I, I really hope... You are a great parent. I've seen your, your daughter, Shaolin, amazing. She's an amazing talent. She's amazing talent. I mean, with basketball, with the martial arts, with the singing. What's that? She's a straight A student at Gorman High School. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, but but the, the word I was looking for, influence. I, I want the fighters to, to appreciate the influence I had on them in a positive light. Dewey, what is the what makes you and Francis? He's a guy. He's a hot commodity. Maybe every coach would love to work with him. What makes you want? You know, Eric Nixick over there at Extreme Couture, who I know well, good guy. You know, no Couture, well, go back with him. What makes you and Francis? What makes you guys gel and makes you guys a good fit for his striking? Um, because uh, Francis. Started off with dreams to be a boxer. Even though I'm a kickboxer, I had 25 professional boxing fights. I was trained with the May, you know, by the Mayweather's over 20 years with Jeff Mayweather. Dur during that time, I trained with Roger Mayweather. I trained with Floyd Mayweather Sr. Um, uh, so I have a real boxing background, I'm not just some dude emulating Mayweather mitts. I know the method behind the madness. I know the science behind it. I know the reasoning behind the high frequency mid style. That's number one. So I have more of a stronger boxing uh, background than most coaches in MMA or even most coaches in kickboxing. Uh, so I'm, I've kickboxed my whole life. I'm a kickboxer who knows real boxing. So that took care of two of the components for Francis right there. Uh, having a guy with a boxing background and a real kickboxing background who can equate it to MMA striking. Uh, and, and of course, I can take the pain and the and the brutality of, of training Francis Ngannou. Uh, I'm not one of these coaches to tell you to punch easier. No matter how hard you punch, I want you to punch harder. Uh, you know, no matter how hard you kick, I want you to kick harder. I don't even tell Francis to take it easy. You know, we explode. He really, you know, I never uh, limit his power or limit how hard he hits the kicks. Hard as he can do it, I'm like, do it. Because you heard me. As long as you hit your opponent like that, I'm happy. <laughs> how do you keep th – th this always fascinated me. You know, I've lived in Vegas for 18 years, and it always fascinates me, right, the mecca 
of the fight world for 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 where to hold the fights right before 2020 2020's turned the world on its head but before 2020 las vegas is the mecca there's a ton of fighters boxers mma jiu-jitsu there and yet you can go 15 20 miles and get in all the trouble you want at any hour of the day and it's fascinating you have these elite fighters and combat sports athletes you know, trying to live a Spartan code, right? Live clean, live pure, train hard, you know, be focused. But there's trouble waiting for you 10 miles, 12 miles, a few clicks away. And so it makes it, it can make it a lot more challenging for you. How do you handle the athletes? You know, they come from all over the world to train in Vegas. You get to work with them. How, what do you tell them about avoiding that temptation of Vegas and the Vegas strip and all that stuff and to keep them on track. I let them know that there's a lot of things out there, a lot of distractions. Um, my name is Dewey. Uh, it starts with a D. So I have my Dewey's D's, you know, six D's to take you to your destiny. Uh, and that's dedication, determination, discipline, devotion, desire, and drive. If you exercise those D's, you will accomplish your goals. You will reach the pinnacle where you want to reach. If you don't, there's another D, and you used it earlier, distraction. Distractions are parasitic to Dewey's uh, six D's to destiny. And uh, I talk to them about that and tell them, you know, if you exercise those six D's, you're going to be okay. Also, discipline is a very important factor. Frank, you know, without discipline, you could be the most awesome dude in the world. And, and at some point, the, the uh, dynasty will crumble. Um, you know, Judge Jones is the only guy I could think of in MMA who's had his hardships and, 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 and let distractions take over and still was able to sustain, maintain, and stay great. But we always have an exception in every rule. One person out of two million don't mean much. So you have to stay clear of distractions. And the number one way to stay clear of distractions is having discipline. And that's a very important characteristic and attribute that any great fighter should and must have. Let's take the case of Francis Ngannou. Um, what he lost the first fight, Stipe Miocic has been, Stipe Miocic has surprised me because he's been, you know, a guy who was playing baseball and he, he's been, you know, he's a very sharp striker. He's got the wrestling background. He's tough. Um, you know, he's got a great mindset. Francis came up uh, short in that first one. What adjustments, without giving everything away, but it looks like there's a collision course there between Stipe Francis rematch. Probably a lot of people yes. are going to like Francis. How has Francis evolved, and what does he have to do to to beat Miocic and become champion? Well, first of all, Stipe is awesome. It's a very simple answer for 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 that topic for that question. Experience. That's all it was. Stipe is a well-rounded, great heavyweight MMA fighter. That's why he's the champ with the most title defenses. Um, but that fight, that fight, that night came down to experience. Um, and this upcoming fight, and they are fighting, 
It's going to come down to experience, but it's going to be the opposite side of the coin. Francis now having the proper experience. That's going to be the difference. What is, um, in terms of how much, a fr- I mean, I'm a guy that believes in natural talent combined with the mindset, combined with the work ethic. But I do believe, like, some people come in the gym and, like, you got a guy like Francis some of the power and things it's you just can't teach some of the gifts but you also you know he's got to do the work he's got to have the mindset he's got to be comfortable you can't run you can't jog for him he's got to stay off you know avoid the distractions so a ton of credit but tell me a little bit about how you know the making of a champion what makes a champion how much of it can an, an, an elite champion a ufc champion how much of it is natural talent how much of it is work ethic how much of it is coachability what goes into the making of a champion to you hey frank let me pop in real quick um i think dewey i think dewey's resetting real quick um so so stand by real quick while he uh uh rejoins sure It's fascinating to hear about the holding the mitts and people don't think about that, you know? Yeah. People don't think think about a guy, the damage, and there's probably, there aren't many, the combination of Dewey's knowledge combined with his durability and his ability to, and his willingness to take that punishment, there probably aren't five or 10 people on the planet that could hold mitts capably for Naganu and take that punishment. There probably aren't five or 10 people on the planet. Dewey's and Dewey's like the outlier of outliers. Um, love is, uh, love is energy. Um, amazing. All right. Well, I'm, um, yeah, I'm just checking his, uh, his setting. He may have, uh, he may have lost his connection there. Uh, so stand by Frank, if you want to, uh, Talk a little bit about his, you know, about his record. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I, I have not, you know, you know me. I am just catching up to the fight sports game and learning as much as I can. Um, maybe you can talk about stylist his style of uh, kickboxing and how that how that works so well with, uh, um, you know, with like a fighter like Dewey. Well, I think, you know, one thing that Dewey, a lot of people, so when you come from the Mayweather tree, when you think of boxing in the last 30, 40 years, I mean, if you had to have a royal family, it's going to be the Mayweather family. A lot of people, they see Floyd Mayweather, they don't realize that he's the son of Floyd Sr. Floyd Sr. was a damn good fighter. He was an elite fighter. Roger Mayweather was a champion, an elite fighter. These guys fought some of the biggest names in the heyday of boxing. I mean, they, they, they were, they, they are, Floyd Mayweather was boxing since he was two. So for, for, for Dewey, Dewey was very close to the Mayweathers and Jeff Mayweather mm. is a very good coach in his own right. So, so Dewey is right there picking up striking from the best of the best. You know, he's learning the art, the sweet science, which is why I think he could fight these guys that were 60, 65, 70, 80 pounds heavier than him. A lot of those guys jacked on whatever, jacked on some substance. Um, mm. Wonder how some of those guys passed the test. But but so Dewey, 
I don't. I actually don't think that Dewey gets the notoriety. I mean, he's he's starting to get it now. He's got his own podcast. He's you know when Francis wins, I think you'll get it. I don't think that that's his his why. That's not his premier purpose. He's not like look at me. He's not trying to steal the thunder or the stage from his fighters. But this is a guy that probably deserves to be, um, definitely deserves to have more notoriety than he has because he's been, you know, he's just, he's worked with so many. And and the thing I like about him too is he's a one of a kind character. He used to always be in Drysdale. He's worked, him and Robert Drysdale who gave me my black belt. They have been a tandem for a lot of fighters like Jimmy Spacuza who fought in World Series of Fighting who was a very tough as nails fighter. They both worked with Jimmy Spacuza. Um, but a lot of people don't understand how much of a sacrifice it is to coach. You know, it's not, these are not look at me kind of people. They are sacrificial. They're sacrificing their body. They're sacrificing their time. They're sacrificing time away from their wife, from their kids, from their significant other. It's not, it's kind of like being a rock star. It's, it's not as glamorous up close as it looks, right? It's not when you get into the drudgery of, of travel, of fight week. And, you know, they've got to be a lot of things. A great coach has to be a psychologist. They have to be a good listener. They have to know the right buttons to push. They have to know their fighter. They have to be great strategists. Because a lot of times the fighters, there's some really smart fighters out there like Dom Cruz or Randy Couture who can sort of devise a lot of the strategy themselves. But then there's most fighters are not that way. So they're relying on the strategy that's devised by like the Dewey or their coaches. The coaches are entrusted to have to come up with the, the winning game plan. So look at the video and say, this is how we're going to exploit your opponent. Notice that when your opponent does whatever, they step here or they do this or they telepath their punch by doing this. And that's what somebody like like Dewey does. I mean, right. you, you know, you got to wear a lot of hats. And he, this guy's been at it a long time. That's why I'm so excited to have him on. You know what? Um, I'm going to uh, email him our uh, uh, podcast link real quick. If you'll just keep, uh, if you'll just keep um, uh, providing some information, some background, uh, I'm going to uh, flip over to another screen and, uh, and email him our link. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, so for anybody still watching, um, you know, when you're a fighter or you're a combat sports athlete and, and any athlete, when things happen, right, a death, a breakup, whatever, you know, you can't just go to pieces. You These are, it takes a lot of motivation to be disciplined, to live this Spartan lifestyle. And, you know, we have hearts. Sometimes it can be hard to get out of bed. Sometimes you're distracted. I remember when I went through my divorce, and when I, you know, that meant that I, I wasn't going to be staying in the same house with my son every day and there was split custody. And so um, it's hard. And, and I remember at my, when it was very hard, a, a, someone I loved very much got sick. And I mean, I was devastated. And the one place that I had um, a sanctuary was the mat. I could go on those mats. That was the one place where I could turn off the world. I could, I could. I, you know, things didn't feel heavy. I could, I could get rid of the distractions. And, and so in the 90 minutes or the two hours on the mat, I could, now I was able to tune that out. Some people aren't. To me, what I've seen psychologically 
one of the hardest things for fighters. Um, fighters, when someone dies on them, usually fight better. When there's a breakup, a divorce, a girlfriend, girlfriend leaves them, wife leaves them. Those are, from my experience, anecdotally, very hard on fighters. Um, they normally don't fight as well. If someone dies, a coach, a loved one, a lot of times the fighter is able to channel that and they, they almost dedicate the fighter, the fight to their loved one. They just seem to have even more incentive. Um, so that's, that's always been an interesting thing when I was, you know, a journalist and even as an athlete myself, you know, you go through life things. I mean, I went through periods where did, just didn't have money. And so I was like, I was moving heaven and earth just to go to a tournament in California for jujitsu. It's like money was so tight. I'm like, how am I going to come up with the hundred dollars or 120 to register for the tournament? And then, you know, you got the gas money, you got a rental car, you got whatever, like, how are you going to, and it's just amazing. Sometimes you have to move heaven and earth. Some athletes are moving heaven and earth just to go to a tournament because financially it's not feasible or they don't have the money or they don't have a sponsor, yeah. but you love it so much. Um, this is, this is a, the thing I think that's fascinating about the combat sports are the sacrifices that we sign up for, um, the, 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 the consent to discipline, like how, mm. because the, the, the truth is for a lot of us, and you, you know, you and I know each other, Noah, and, and this phenomenon, you know, there, there's a, I guess there's a, there's some kind of documentary coming up called After the Cage. And my, you know, Jason Reinhardt, who was a former UFC fighter, yeah. who was a friend, is going to be featured in that. And I, get, I don't know who else. They're interviewing different athletes who fought in the cage, and then they're following them. And, you know, I guess, to my knowledge, some of them might have drug addiction. Some of them might have, you know, they're kind of lost, just like some professional athletes in other sports. Like, well, what do I do? You know, they're not an athlete anymore. They're not, maybe they're not making as much money. Where can you find that thrill, that aliveness? What's going to replace that? What's going to replace the thrill of victory, the hunt of victory? What's going to replace it? I went through the same thing because I like, like I perform my best when there's an event, when there's a deadline, when there's, when, when there's a bunch of us working together and making those sacrifices and discipline. I love that. But when you're not in that ecosystem, right, you don't have to be there at 10 a.m. You don't have a tournament coming up. It can be a lot harder for us to arrange and organize our life. You know, that's the beauty of if you're a jiu-jitsu athlete and you have, you, you look at IBJJF or Naga or whatever or Fight to Win, you know the dates. And so it sort of motivates you to be set to sacrifice, to be disciplined. You know there's a date. So I would say to anybody out there for motivation. If you don't have a deadline, like some motivator, it you're just you just you just have a wish. You don't have you know it's not even a goal. It's just a wish. It's just it's a butterfly that's gonna up and fly away. You got nothing. You want to make people out there. It's January 2021. It's a new year. You want to bring out the best in you. You need dates. You need events and dates and deadlines. Mm. If not just a journal. Not just eat healthier, not just work out more, but not just get better sleep. But we need to look at a calendar and say, here are some events. Here are some dates. Here are deadlines. I have to have this done by then. 
I have to be prepared for this by then. I'm competing in this tournament by then. And when we have that, that a lot of times gives us the incentive to do the jogging, to do the training, to go to the gym, to eat healthy. When we don't have a final exam or a date or a deadline or an event, then a lot of us are not going to be accountable and we're not going to be as motivated. We need we need deadlines, we need dates, we need events. So that's something that I would impress. The one thing that, you know, going back to Dewey Cooper, Dewey, what stands out to me as a guy who sang his whole life and a guy who has a, a good voice and likes voice and pays attention to voice, his voice is part of his magic. He has a voice unlike any other. It's a distinctive voice and the vibration of that voice motivates a lot of people so he is you know there's coaches that are more quiet and their motivational is more subtle or the motivational is a few words here and there or they're great listeners um dewey has a great voice and he uses it a lot now some fighters might say hey he's too ramped up or he's too it's too much maybe there's a fighter out there that would say that you know but um you're never going to walk into a class you're, you know, if you have 20 fighters in there, you're never going to lack motivation with that guy in the room. Yeah. You're never going to be like, I'm bored. I'm not motivated today. If you ain't motivated today, that guy is going to be so go, go, go. He's going to put the energy in the room. You're going to be motivated. And, and, and the truth is that a lot of people need that. Everybody makes the assumption that all high-level athletes are deeply motivated, and that's actually not true. There are type A, super-motivated Dominic Cruz's and Randy Couture's, and there's a spectrum there. There are some fighters that, that, yes, they're more motivated than the general public, and they sign up for the hard work, but there's varying degrees, just like anything else. Everybody's not highly motivated every day. Uh, Michael Chandler is, Randy Couture is, um, you know, but... But there's differing degrees of motivation. This guy comes every day, Dewey. Comes every day. I, I've never seen him be anything less than high energy every day. And that's very draining. Most people can't sustain that, right? Most, most people can't be highly motivated, like crazy high motivated, probably five days of their life, right? Most people, Dewey, Dewey has been like that for years and years. Most people will, will never spend five days of their life as motivated as that guy's been for 15, the past 15, 20 years. We wrap our brain around that, right? That's, yeah. And so when I hear people say, and, and people that I trust and I respect and they're black belts and they're Navy SEALs, but I hear them say, it's not motivation, it's discipline. Um, and Dewey talked about discipline too. I view them as brother, sister. I don't. I don't think there's any discipline without motivation. I call it the motivation to be disciplined. So I don't make this distinction that some make where it's discipline, it's discipline, it's no. It's to have the discipline, you have to have the motivation to be disciplined. You have to have the whatever, the psychological. That's just true. Or the, yeah. or the why. So for people to take motivation out of the equation, I don't buy that. Mot motivation is very important. The problem with motivation for most people is that motivation will wane, right? It, it will it will ebb and flow and it will wane. With someone like Dewey or Brandy Couture or Michael Chandler 
you know, um, there there is no drop off in motivation. They are motivated day in, day out. They're disciplined day in, day out. Um, their why is super strong. So mm. I think a lot of people, when when I hear like Jocko Willink, who I respect, and I expect to be on Jocko Willink's podcast one day, and I respect Jocko, I like him, I like what he does. You know, him and I disagree on this motivation, discipline, distinction. You know, Jocko is just like, no, it's discipline, motivation's overrated, it's not motivation. But but the thing is, the most motivated, there he is. What up, Dewey? Jesus Christ, man, sorry. I don't know no what the hell happened. Yeah. Holy smokes, man. My fucking, see, I never do this on my phone. And uh, it uh, the the battery died. Everyone's been calling me and texting me and stuff. The battery died. It's good. It's good to have friends. Let me let me finish this thought really quick, and I'm going to tie you into this. So I was talking about uh, the difference between motivation and discipline, right? And I was talking about how you come you come every day for 15, 20 years. There there is no off day. I've never seen you have an off day, right? I've said to, to Noah while you were off camera, I'm like, most people in their life will not, they won't have five days of their life, five days total, where they're as motivated as you are. You've been like 15, 20 years, like highly motivated every day. It's it's amazing to see. And, and anyway, I, I, I went down and I was saying, you know, for me, discipline requires motivation because a lot of people right now are just talking about discipline, discipline, discipline. And they don't put motivation in there. And I view you as, as a motivator, among other things. I do view you as a very motivational guy. Obviously, the discipline is huge. You're very disciplined. But I view you as very motivated. And I think, Noah, this is what I wanted to do to tie this together. I think motivation is a key to discipline. And when people aren't disciplined, when people aren't motivated, it's because their why is weak. Their reason for doing it is weak. When the why is weak, then the motivation and the discipline to fire that are weak. So you show me somebody who's not motivated, and I'll just show you somebody who doesn't have a strong why, who doesn't have a strong sense of who they are, who doesn't have a sense of purpose. And then you have a guy like this, like Dewey. Dewey knows who he is, what he's about, what his code is, where he's going, and he knows why I'm doing this. Now, Dewey, now that you're back, and I thank you so much for coming back, tell us a little bit about your why. I mean, you got into it a little bit, but digging a little deeper into your why, you could have chose. You're a super bright guy, good-looking guy. You look as young as the first day I saw you. You're aging <laughs> like me. You could have done a lot of other things. Why is this the thing? Why is the juice worth the squeeze here? Why? Why? Why is it worth it? This life is a hard life. Why is this worth it? What what makes this worth it for you? I mean, what is your why? What's fueling that? Yeah, well, uh, I think, yeah, like we're all born with a certain purpose. And if we're not doing our purpose, we are not fulfilled no matter how successful you are. And that's why there's so many unhappy people on this planet because they aren't doing their purpose. You talked about motivation when guys have off days and and if they're not, you know, doing what they're supposed to do, if they're not motivated, it's not really in their heart. But more than motivation, you need inspiration. And you have to have aspiration also. 
you have, a long time ago, I aspired to be a great fighter um, I, because I looked up to Peter Cunningham and Rob Kamen and guys like this, Ernesto Hoos, Muhammad Ali. Um, so I aspired to be like those guys, especially Peter Cunningham. I'm not going to lie. Peter Cunningham was my all-time favorite. Um, and through that aspiration, I got inspired. And through that inspiration, that's what gave me the motivation. And that motivation has never left me since I was nine years old. The problem is with us human beings, we're so limited. Um, we, we live to be 100 if we're lucky, and we, we don't come to terms with that. So, so we're living an unfulfilled life. Uh, just because we know it, our demise is near at any moment. Unfortunately, too many of us view it that way. I view it like this is a blessing. I'm blessed to be having this uh, meeting with you guys in this interview. And I go to every day with that type of inspiration. No matter what, I could be sick. I could be damn near dying. I'm still going to train my guys hard. I'm still going to get inspired. And I'm still going to work hard. Because, guys, one thing about me, I'm not scripted. I'm unscripted. The only time I'm not really hyped as a fight as a coach is if my fighter is like lazy, bad body language, what I call excuse excuse the term, what I call punking out. You know what I mean? I don't like this sort of thing. Um, so I get my energy when I'm training my guys. The harder they hit, the more energy they the more energy they go. I just match that energy naturally. I'm not even trying to. I posted a video today on my Instagram, and uh, I never seen the video. Someone sent it to me. It was from, from a few days ago, and uh, you know I was training two guys in the tie pads. I was just getting hyped because they were giving me good energy. It's not like it's a rehearsed thing. So, in order to stay motivated, what makes me me the very the, the very fabric of me is just um, I was born. Big family, youngest of eight kids. I fought a lot. Uh, there was a lot of aggression. And, and in my household, there was nothing wrong with fighting. If you and your brother and sister had an argument, you guys would go toe to toe. It's not like we got our asses whipped for fighting. Fighting was just a way of life. But it makes sense. My dad was a force recon Marine. He believed in, in war. You know what I mean? So if you fought, it was no big deal. So my whole life, I grew up not being afraid to fight. Fighting was the answer when when discussion and compromise could not be met. You fucking fist fought, bottom line. And the winner had his way. I know it's a caveman way of being, but it was an absolute answer to basically every problem I ever had in my life. And once I started going around the world and, and getting you know, applause and people wanting a autograph back then, there was no camera phones to take a picture. Uh, it just confirmed the, the destiny I felt like I wanted to lead. And uh, I'm still leading that destiny right now. Um, and, and, and that's the answer. The, the answer, people just gotta be true with themselves, make sure they're fulfilled in whatever they're doing and if they're fulfilled, they're not going to have an off day because it's beyond just how you feel. I may feel shitty now talking to you, but I'm still going to talk to you because we're talking about a topic that I love, fighting and athletes. And if, if we're talking about politics, I may not even have the same energy because I'm not that 
that inspired by who's the president or what's going on with the BLM versus the dudes who raided the Capitol. You know what I mean? None of that shit really matters to me. It matters because we're Americans, but that's not something that I, that I dream about, that I wish as a kid I'd be a part of. So if you're doing what truly fulfills you, Frank, we're never going to have an off day because we love this shit too much. It's beyond us. It's beyond how we feel. How we feel is so subjective. I may feel like shit today and feel like a million bucks tomorrow, which was right. Was I a million bucks or was I, or was I shit? Neither. It was just an emotion that made us feel that way. But when you feel fulfillment, it's something deep inside every follicle of you. You feel it deep down in what the Chinese call chi, and it moves you. It moves you beyond just everyday life. And that's the fulfillment that I search for every day. And I, I get it every day, man. Every day I get it. Every day I go to the gym. Every day I train. I get that same fulfillment I got at nine years old when I started. And, and that's the beauty of martial arts and the beauty of being able to make a living through martial arts. Now, Dewey, you, um, I know that Shaolin had went to like the Kung Fu school there. You know, some of the, some of the monks training her. You, yes. you just mentioned the Chinese martial arts. Tell me a little bit about your relationship because you do, you have, you have dipped into, heavily dipped into some of the traditional martial yes. arts, some of the Asian martial arts. That's yes. also part of your experience and your perspective. Tell me about, you know, some of the philosophies you've taken, you know, some of the arts you've studied that are the Asian martial arts, some of the yes. philosophies and how you've used those and incorporated those as a coach and an athlete. Yes, well, I started, Muay Thai was actually my first art, um, but I also started training Chinese Kempo. When I first moved to Vegas from L.A., I was strictly a Muay Thai practitioner. I've been doing, in L.A., we had amateur smokers all the time. I was doing little amateur smokers, but I moved to Vegas. The first gym that I was training at was uh, Eddie Flash Newman's gym. It was a kickboxing gym and a Kempo karate gym. And I got all the way up to my third degree black belt with Eddie Flash Newman uh, doing straight Chinese Kempo. I did karate tournaments all over the country and all of that too. I was at Cecil, I won Cecil People's first uh, invitational he had in Carson, California, like in the mid 90s. Uh, you know, stuff like that. By the way, that was the first time I ever met, I ever met Peter Cunningham too at Cecil People's Tournament. It was like a dream come true to me. Uh, so I, I've been to Japan. I trained with the Senekai Kun uh, 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 karate guys in Japan. That's one of the, uh, uh, one of the most famous karate karate gyms. Senekai uh, in Japan is like 100,000 karate members. Uh, I trained at the Shaolin Temple with the real Shaolin monks in Songshan, China, which was till today my favorite trip of all times. The day I die, the memories that have flashed through my mind will be my mom and dad. Probably the first time my dad whipped my ass, how scary it was. First time my mom kissed my face. First time uh, my daughter Shaolin was born and I grabbed her hand. Uh, probably my first championship and definitely when I was at the Shaolin Temple. That's, that was one of the most memorable, memorable days of my life. Training with the real monks, being in, in, in the quarters of the abbot 
Shi Lan Yu, uh, talking to him hours about Buddhism in the Shaolin way. He made me green tea from scratch. And by the way, I had to hit camera. I got it all on film because I knew no one would believe me. So uh, it was my greatest trip. And then training with the monks for a whole day. And the Shaolin monks were amazing. Just their lifestyle. Um, training all day. Doing weapons all day. Doing tumbling classes all day. Uh, eating nothing but rice and fish. Drinking nothing but water and tea. Man, it was crazy. Uh, so I looked at all these different martial arts and I seen what makes them all so important is that it really strengthens you internal, internally more than externally. You may be buff or bench a lot and all of that, but are you willing to punch your hand through a brick? Are you willing to kick that, kick that two by four with your shin? Um, if you're not, that means physically you can't dig within. You can only do shit exteriorly. And the real order of martial arts is being a true warrior, a warrior in life and a warrior in spirit. Therefore, when I fought big guys, Frank, 60 pounds bigger than me, I wasn't scared. I wasn't flinching and turning and closing my eyes the way Ronda Rousey did with Holly Holm with throwing punches at her because none of that shit mattered. You know, when you got something inside you, Frank, the world could be against you. It don't matter because it's inside you and no one can take that from you. And these are the things I learned from the martial arts uh, uh, philosophies. Think about crazy shit like the, the, the uh, guys in Japan did World War II. They jumped in planes, whatever war it was. They jumped in planes, you know, the kamikazes. They had their funeral before they took off. They had a funeral because they knew they were fucking dying. You gotta be insane to be willing to put yourself through that type of activity. Uh, but that's what martial arts is about. It's not about your emotion or how you physically feel. It's about something within you that can never die, a flame that can never be 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 blown out. And that's what I learned from all the different martial arts. And we take all the Far East philosophies and we mold it into a Western fighting style. That's why we run the mountain, Frank. We run the mountain for two reasons. You know, Saturdays, I take the guys to the mountain every Saturday. We do that for two reasons. Just psychologically to make you have to challenge yourself against elements that's been here millions of years before we were here. Because we could conquer that mountain. We could conquer any man. You know what I mean? And secondly, just to give you a change of philosophies. In America, we so Tybo, we so, so let's get it right now. Run that mountain, man. It's something you got to do for years and years and years to truly evolve and get used to it. And it's you versus yourself. You don't got a coach. You don't have your pretty girlfriend sitting there watching you train. You don't got none of that. Uh, and, and, and that's what I learned from the Shaolin monks every morning, by the way. We bear crawl the stairs of the Shaolin Temple. It's about a mile from the bottom to the top. They bear crawl that cold ass stone, you know, stairway, hands and feet. And I don't know if you guys bear crawled before. I did like 400 meters and my back was locking up. I was in pain. I couldn't even finish the whole thing. I probably did like 600 meters of the bear crawl. But it was crazy. These guys bear crawled the whole mile like nothing. And when I seen that, I said, man, these guys have un unlocked something much greater than the physical. And uh, that's what 
unlearn from all different martial arts. Unlock is something greater than whatever you got right here. Freston Gunn, Kevin Lee, whoever the hell you are. However strong you are here, you have to be stronger inside. And that's something that the, the, the Eastern martial arts definitely taught me. Noah and I talk about this quite a bit. And, and the topic we're talking about is the intersection between that. We talk about the difference between, say, a martial artist and a fighter, right? You know, you have UFC. UFC had, I guess, at its zenith 500 or so fighters under contract. And yes. you, you look down the roster, you see a lot of tough guys, and you see fighters, right? It takes a lot of heart. Even the worst fighter in the UFC is courageous and making that walk and deserves respect, right? So, but there's a hierarchy. Then you have some fighters that are more living according to a certain code or more of a traditional, like a more sophisticated code. There's a deeper, there's a deeper code around it rather than just, I'm trying to be the toughest, I'm trying to be the champion. There's a lot more spiritual depth. There's a lot more meaning. They're, they're a lot more conscious and aware they're, of their why. And they're, we, we call more the martial artist, uh, you know, someone yes. who's more of an enlightened warrior, right? A more, more awakened. And so how do you, because you, you're tapping into it. You, you train with those monks. You've got your daughter training with the Shaolin monks. You gave yes. your daughter that beautiful name, Shaolin. How yes. do you, because a lot of people will see you and what they'll say. This is what people would think. Yeah. First of all, this guy's incredible. This guy's got a great voice. He's very motivational. He's tough as can be. He's one of the most motivational people I've seen. He's kind of like a street, like almost like a, a, a like a, a, you know, you're almost like the hip hop version of a great coach in MMA. It's like this guy's yeah. like hip hop. But what they don't see is when you look deeper, the stuff you just talked about, because you have an awareness, you have an awareness of of deeper martial arts code how do you or do you do you try to work that into your fighters do you try to work that into their psyche or is it okay if they're just an elite fighter is that okay what what's your view on well, that do you want well, to take do you want to turn a fighter into a martial artist or how, is that important and how do you do it well i think the martial arts aspect is very important however if we're talking about mixed martial arts, I feel the fighting aspect is also very important. I'll give you a great example. And this is the, the biggest contrast I can think of as far as relevant fighters of today, relevant guys. We take Mike Perry, we take Habib. Mike Perry's a fighter, right? He drinks, got chicks working his corner. He gives a fuck about the art. He just wants to fight. You got a guy, Habib, tough, tough as nails, trained as a kid, daggy standy, stoic personality. But what he created with his father was, was, was definitely the highest level of martial art. He started wrestling as a kid all the way up. His dad coached him. His dad gave him a system. He made him disciplined. He made him psychologically strong. That's how he's still undefeated. We've seen Habib in bad situations where most guys would have broke. He didn't. That's the martial arts value. So I'll put it like this. The fighting value is more of a physical Western thing. And most of the time, that physical Western thing will get you through. We Americans, we conquer shit. 
it'll get you through. But at the moment where it's going to be something deeper than that, where it's going to be something needed a little more than what the hell you can physically do, that's where the martial arts comes from. That's, that's from where you have to be willing to break that brick even if you break your hand. That's where you got to be willing to throw that next kick even if your leg's broken or your ACL's torn. And you're not going to get that just from being a rah-rah dude. You have to be able to summon something deeper, something within you. And that's the secret element martial arts bring. The only difference here in America, I've done martial arts all over the world. I've trained in Croatia with, with, with the special forces guys. I trained in Russia. I trained in Kazakhstan. And of course, China, Japan, Thailand, and Cambodia, hell. <laughs> and of course, the UK. The only difference that we're doing here in America is that we think everything is just about breaking the fence down. What's going to happen when you can't just break that fence down? You have to figure out ways to still get a, get a, get around that fence. You know what I mean? So in UFC, I like the fighter that I can make into more of a cerebral martial arts guy. Um, because in America, the martial arts has been so watered down for the most part. Guys are, hate to say this, but guys are more wimpy here. Um, if you take straight black belts in America and take them to Brazil or Japan or China and have them go against other straight black belts, most of the time those other countries are going to win because their, their martial arts isn't so watered down. They don't give out belts as fast as we do here in America, etc. Um, so the martial arts here in America is different than the martial arts abroad. However, the real martial artists that really dedicate them li their lives to it and train hard, yes, you need that because the martial arts takes you deeper than what your physical abilities can take you. And we've seen every great fighter whether it's boxing, MMA, kickboxing, whatever, at some point have to go deeper than what was physically within them. And without that martial arts background, most guys fold. Um, we've seen a lot of tough guys knock people out in the first round, and then they get hit or they can't knock them out. They end up quitting. Uh, and a real martial artist will never quit unless he's, you know, knocked out or seriously injured. I'm not going to say names, but you guys know a, a boxer that everyone loves. Everyone recites their quotes, but we've seen him quit before in the ring. And it wasn't because he was physically beaten, it was because he was mentally beaten. And the martial arts aspect keeps you mentally strong. Uh, and, and you know who I'm talking about, the ear body situation, all that type of stuff. When you're not mentally strong, that's the spiritual soul uh, martial arts side of things. That's what gets that strong. The physical side of things is what gets your body, the exterior strong. And you need them both for sure. I'd rather now, have a fighter that I turn to a martial artist, though. Yeah, you, you know Floyd Mayweather personally. I consider yes. Floyd the best fighter of the last, you know, the last 30 years, I think. Yes. Um, in, in some ways, I honestly think even though Floyd is inching close to a billionaire, right, he's going to be a billionaire. If he's not a billionaire, he's, he's, getting, he's knocking on the door. 
I think yeah. it's brilliant. What I think it's brilliant what he did business wise. Him and Al Heyman and Leonard Ellerby and 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 even how they've been able to stay together because a lot of times they'll be in fighting once the once the people once the athlete starts making a lot of money he starts saying well let me get rid of Leonard and Al because you're taking too much but they they've been able to do something special and when you're talking about martial arts versus fighter I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go on for a couple minutes here and then I, I really want to hear your opinion on this Dewey but. Let, let's take – I saw the fight with Floyd versus – let me just take the, the the fight with Manny, right? And that fight had been a long time in the making, and yeah. people said that Floyd waited for Manny to slow down and whatever, whatever. But I personally believe Floyd would have beaten him at any at any point. He would he could have fought him six, seven years older, and I, you know, six, yes. seven years prior, and I think Floyd would have beat him then. Um, I think Floyd is too smart, too good. But – when I was watching the fight, and a lot of people thought the first five rounds weren't that exciting, but what I saw as an example of Floyd Mayweather, right? Because a lot of people said, well, Floyd's too technical, right? Floyd knocked people out. When Floyd was fighting at 130, 135, Floyd, out. Floyd was knocking dudes out when he was fighting at 130, 135. Then he's going up in weight, and he's being a little more careful, a little more cerebral, a little more tactical. But when yes. you really, when the trained eye watches Floyd, well, like, for instance, when I watched him fight Pacquiao, I was like, damn, he fought Pacquiao one way in round one, another way in round two, another yeah. way in round three, another way in round four, mixed it up, jambalaya in round five, yeah. mixed the whole thing up. And it's like, wait, you're fighting a legend. He's fighting Pacquiao, who's a legend. And he yeah. just fought him five different ways. And he's winning like four rounds to one, five rounds to none. And you're yes. watching, you're like, damn, this is a true master. Now the regular person sitting at home is thinking, I want my pay-per-view money back. But the person <laughs> who understands how hard it is when you're in there with somebody that good, it's like, damn, he just did. Now, what I wanted to get to with Floyd, because he is brilliant. He is a master. And, sure. and he's a master on different levels, on business. He takes care of the people close to him, right? He's very loyal to people close to him. He's yes. been masterful in business and trusting Al Heyman and Leonard Ellaby. He's been masterful inside the ring. He stayed motivated. He stayed hungry. He stayed disciplined. Yes. Doesn't drink. Doesn't do the drugs. Didn't, yes. you know. And, and anyway, what I wanted to see is your perception of his why. Because of all the things I know, I know he started young. I know he had Floyd Sr. And he had Roger. And I know he grew up doing it. But a lot of people could fall out of love with the art. This guy stayed as disciplined as they come. He kept getting better. And what do you, this is just your opinion, what do you perceive the greatness of Mayweather? What was the why that was fueling him to be so great? Well, it was such a combination of so many things. First and foremost, the DNA genetics, you know, his uncle was a world yeah. champion. Uh, let's see, can you hear me? Can you guys hear me now? Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Um, it was a combination of things. His DNA. His dad was a boxer. His uncle was a multi multiple world champion boxer. His other uncle was a world champion boxer. So the bloodline thing, number one. Number two, Floyd was born with that competitive spirit. Um, he had... Floyd was the perfect model of what a fire needs to be. It has to be at least second generation. 
He was a second generation fighter. Um, he wasn't forced to do something. It was naturally in him. He loved to do it. And he stayed, he stayed on the grind. He wasn't too cocky to where he felt like he couldn't be taught. He listened to his father. Then he listened to his uncle and he got better and better. He became an Olympian. He fought for the country. He won a medal. And all that just catapulted him to get more and more hungry. A mistake a lot of people make, especially, how can I put this? A mistake a lot of people make, I'll just leave it there. I was gonna say people from from lower uh, class communities, uh, we wanna be rich so much. We wanna have all this, all this glamor and stuff so much. Once you get it, you lose that insatiable hunger that you had before. Floyd, the more he got, the hungrier he got. Um, I think that element of Floyd makes him the best and not many guys will ever do what he did because as famous as he became, as rich as he became, it made him more motivated, more inspired, more hungry. And that's why he's still doing it to this day. There's been greats. There's been greats. Ali is the greatest to me because what he stood for. Uh, at a time where we needed a symbol like that. Roy Jones was probably the greatest when you look at body of work in their primes. But Floyd has doubled that with the things he does. And it's all because he never got lazy. He never got out of shape. He never turned to an alcoholic. He never did anything that would sacrifice him being greater. That motivation is crazy. Floyd told me years ago, he came to one of my fights at the Orleans, a boxing fight I had. He had made his first $10 million payday. He told me, I'm going to be making two, $300 million a fight. He told me that shit in like 2004, something like that. And uh, of course, I didn't say no. I just said, man, yeah, you can do anything. But in my mind, I don't think anyone thought that was possible. The highest paid boxer at the time was De La Hoya. Uh, Mike Tyson wasn't fighting at that moment. Um, for a guy to tell you he's going to make 10 times more than what anyone makes is crazy. But he's seen it way back then. Floyd is the greatest because of his, his mentality. And he don't have that satisfaction button that we all have. Once you won all the awards and made all the money, stayed undefeated, sometimes we get complacent, sometimes we get satisfied, and Floyd's never done that. And that's why he can fight a YouTuber right now and make more money than anyone in the world fighting right now. That's crazy. I think one thing that's masterful in terms of business, right, because everybody just thinks of him, oh, he's just a great fighter, but... He part of the genius of Floyd, and I did a podcast on this. Is the you know a lot of people can have smart people around you, or just like you can have a great coach, but you might not be coachable. Coachability yes. is a quality, right? Some fighters yes. are smart, yes. but they're not as coachable. And he yes. had he was smart enough to bring people around him and to trust them and to be coachable yes. and to be yes. loyal to them, and and yes. so. He's even if he wasn't the business mind, he was smart enough to recognize and to trust Al Heyman yes. and to trust yes. Leonard and say, I know that these guys know and I'm smart enough to trust them, to build a relationship with them, to work through things because things come up that 
that are reasons to fracture the relationship. But to yes. the loyalty to work through things with them is how this man became a billionaire almost by his instincts and his EQ, his coachability, his emotional intelligence to realize who really has my back, who's really looking out for me, who really cares about me, who's really giving me advice. And what they did, what he did with Bob Arum, buy, and you know better than I do, but buying out the contract is one of the most genius business moves really? in the history of sports, not just fight yes. sports, but in the history of sports. I, I mean, if, if I'm Bob Arum and I'm thinking, I mean, you know, I'm imagining, I don't know what the, what the amount was, but years ago when Floyd was still under top rank and Bob Arum, it was like, look, I mean, I, this, is the, this is the way I hear the story. These are not all facts, but the way that I hear yes. the story, this is the way it went down. Floyd is going to, to Bob Arum and saying, listen, I need to make more money. You're paying me. I'm making this number up, but you're paying me four, five, six, seven, eight million. I need 25 million. I'm making that number up. But he goes to me. He expects a big number like a lot of athletes. Look, I'm a bigger draw. Bob yes. Arum says, can't do it, Floyd. You're not you're not drawing like that. People don't want to watch you. You're too technical. You're whatever, whatever that dialogue went like. And so yes. then Floyd in combination with, you know, Leonard Ellerby and, and Al Heyman and whoever else's ear is like, listen, okay, we're, we, Floyd keeps bugging them. Bob's not, Bob Arab's not budging. Floyd and them get with them and say, listen, we want to buy out the contract. And, and Aram gives them a number, whatever that number was, 20 million, 25 million. It wasn't anywhere near. So they go masterfully, they cut Bob Aram a check and they buy out Bob Arum. And now Floyd is, an, is a free agent. And now he's betting on himself and saying, listen, there's only been one other guy that cut out the middleman, De La Hoya. De La Hoya cut out the middleman. De La Hoya cut out the promoter and made a windfall, made crazy Which money. Which was Bob Arum. Remember, that was Bob Arum also. De La Hoya cut out Bob Arum. He was with, he was with them also. Yeah, so it's just interesting to see. And then, so Floyd is betting on himself at that point, right? There is a risk there because Bob Arum is one of the two biggest promoters in the world. Yeah. So you're taking yes. a risk because there's only been one other guy that was able to do that, right? De La Hoya is the only guy. So statistically, buying out Bob Arum and betting on yourself, while it looks genius in hindsight, at the time it's like, well, damn, yes. only one dude's been able to pull that off, right? So, yes, But yes. Floyd does it. And Floyd's net worth now, how do you become a billionaire in fight sports? Again, highest paid athlete. He was the high. I don't know in 2020 if he was, but for many years, when you looked at the Forbes highest paid athlete, highest at paid. the top of the list was, was Floyd Mayweather. Genius. I mean, yeah. just just amazing. While yeah, and remember, like, like you said, Floyd hired uh, Al Heyman, but people don't realize Al Heyman is a Harvard graduate. Um, Al Heyman is brilliant. At the time, remember, Leonard, Leonard Ellaby used to be Floyd's like conditioning coach. Um, way back in the days, Leonard was the one, the physical trainer for Floyd Mayweather. And they just harnessed their relationship. It got more and more. And uh, Floyd promoting Leonard as such. 
uh, and Leonard's a great guy, by the way, not a knock on Leonard, but yeah, Leonard came up in the box, learning the boxing with Floyd Mayweather. Uh, he was originally the uh, fitness coach for Floyd Mayweather. Crazy. But see, like you said, Floyd stays loyal to the people with him, the people that he trusts. And to me, the most brilliant move he did, besides the genetics and being a great boxer, is trusting Al Heyman. Like you said, picking the right team and believing in them. You're right. That was That was big. That was big. Yeah, his loyalty, he doesn't get enough credit because, remember, Floyd's toned it down ever since he had his legal run-ins, and he's toned it down. You know, he, he I loved watching him on, you know, I did a TEDx talk called A Big Ego Gets a Bad Rap, and he I would love to watch him go on ESPN and argue with Brian Kenny, and, you know, he would, <laughs> if, if, if you said anything, if, if Floyd if Floyd thought, you know, and, and, and what's his name, Larry Merchant would take swipes at him, and I love Floyd, boy, Floyd was a firecracker, right? He was like, if you said, if you say anything less than I'm the greatest, I got a problem with you. And he would call you out on full blast. And and his ego, you know, people, he, he was like Ali in that in his prime, you watched the pay-per-view because you were hoping he'd get beat up, not because <laughs> he was so brilliant. You were hoping, yeah. can there be somebody to shut this? This guy's got too much swag. He he's too full of himself. <laughs> You were you were buying the pay per view, hoping he would get beat up, and he yeah. and he he almost kind of like Connor and Chael Sonnen, he he realized that, and he really I think he even amplified it and to, and turned it up because he realized that's making people pay attention, right? I'm I'm I'm, I'm yes. on another planet. People aren't as interested when I just toy with these dudes. So let me, you know, he 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 was more of a talker and whatever, but 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 anyway, yeah, his loyalty, he doesn't get. He's been criticized, you know, in the past because he was cocky, because he had legal run-ins, because of whatever. But there are masterful things about him on a loyalty level. He is a very he is a lot of fighters could a, a lot of fighters could look to him or lessen in loyalty because that is yes. part of the secret sauce of Floyd Mayweather. Now, we're winding yes. down here. Tell me really quick, Dewey. The it factor, how do you know? You have a lot of fighters. You've worked with hundreds of fighters. How do you know when a fighter has it to be big league? Before they're famous, before they're fighting for titles, how can you tell that they got some of the stuff, they got the it that's going to take? What are you uh, looking hold for? On. Hold, hold on, one second, one second. Let me turn this blind. It's killing me. There we go. I got blinds in my house and the sun's shining through. This is a good question. The it factor, um, I basically judge it on 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 sim simple, simple terms. The guy who's coming to the gym every day, the guy who who works very hard, who pushes himself, the guy you have to tell, okay, that's enough, that's enough. Or don't go so hard, don't go so hard. That guy, that's the it factor. We're in a landscape now where charisma and exterior uh, factors factor in way too much. How cool you are, type of social media following you have, all these other things that's, that's not necessarily has to, do, has to do with fighting. So we're in a slippery slope-ass era now where guys try to be too much uh, socially and not enough in the grind. Uh, so I, I make sure I 
to me, the it factor is the guy who cares more about the grind than the social climate. I'm, I'm an old school dude that I truly believe hard work and dedication makes fight night the celebration. Um, you have to work hard, put the, put the work in, and everything will work itself out. Of course, if you're pretty or if you're witty, you'll get there faster than just a good fighter. But if, if, if you don't have the fight at some point, it's going to get exposed. Um, so the if factor to me is a guy who comes in there, works hard. I'll put him in situations where I know he's not going to be successful, like I was six 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 short drill, and he don't miss Tuesday because he don't want to get beat up. You know, uh, all real coaches ha- have some way of testing their guy to see if he really, if he really has the three components that a, that that a world champion needs. And we didn't talk about that, so I'll say those real quick. The three components, and we all got different philosophies, but I guarantee every coach is going to agree with this. The three components. Of what a world, of what a fighter needs to be a world champion, or a strong mind, big heart, and big balls. Gotta have all three if you want to be a legitimate world champion. Because if you got all three, no matter what situation you face, you're gonna do your best to get through that situation. Um, so I look for the guys with those big heart. Strong mind, big balls. Every coach puts his fighters in situations where those three components will be tested. We do it on Tuesday. It's called the 666 short drill. And I'm not a devil worshiper or anything, but 666 <laughs> sounds cool. And 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 it's it's three six-minute rounds. You're doing six-minute rounds three different times. Uh, but in that drill. You do a minute with a different guy. Every minute, we switch the guy. So essentially, you're sparring with six different dudes per round, one minute each. And these are things I look for. The drill is designed for you not to be too successful in it. But I want to see the guy who's going to push through when he's tired. A guy gets hit hard or kicked hard or taken down hard. Uh, slam to the canvas. Does he try to get up or does he just concede and let the guy lay on top of him? These are the intricate things that it takes to be a champion. So I look for those things. I put guys in hard situations to see how they're going to respond to it. And the guy who responds correctly, these are the elements I think it takes to be a champion. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there, Frank. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors, man. But when you put people through real tests, and they exceed your expectation, that's when you know you got something special. And that's what I do. It starts with hard work, and we go from there. couple more questions. You you saw me train. A lot of people, I mean, think I'm soft. How was I as a worker? You came in there. You, I think you got to see oh, me in no, training. Yeah. No, no, you, you are a dog. You work. You work. <laughs> Guys, don't think Frank's just some. I don't know, reporter, philosophical, nice guy with, with deep conversation. He grinds. Uh, Frank is a real deal. He's a real martial artist. Been doing it for years, too. So, yeah, you work extremely hard. But I think our era was about guys working hard, and you got accolades from that. 
It wasn't getting accolades before you worked hard. And that's the slippery slope about this era. Some guys are getting accolades before they actually worked hard. And you put them in a hard situation and they fold, badly fold, like epic failure. And we all ridiculed him and put memes up. Well, we should be ridiculing ourselves for for inflating them to, to such a high standard that they, that they never worked for in the first place. Everyone talks shit about Nate for getting knocked out by Jake on the Tyson fight, but Nate's a basketball player. He trained for three months for a boxing fight against Jake Paul, a guy who I was in the gym with and seed trained for the last year, grinding, sparring real fighters and stuff like that. We all knew Jake was going to knock out Nate, but you know, that's the problem with this era we're in, we, we catapult these people to positions they don't deserve, and then we ridicule them and try to talk them when they fail. It's crazy to me. You know, it's crazy. What, so, no, really? That's the thing, man. We're, we're in a great what, era, what? but we, we need to work more. Work more, uh, animate less. Yeah. What, 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 how, Floyd versus Jake Paul, how does that go? I mean, I have my ideas. How, how do you see that? No, nah, nah, it's Logan. He, it's, it's Logan. He's going to go against sorry, Logan. 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 But, but, but either one, same thing. Um, by the way, people talk about the size different. Floyd, Floyd spars with 185ers, 170-pounders all the time. Um, Jake, to me, is a much better fighter than Logan. Um, but anyone against Floyd right now is not going to be successful because Floyd is the business. You know what I mean? He's not in the business. He is the business. And Floyd is too intelligent to ever put himself in a position where he's going to fail. Um, Floyd's going to win the fight. It's going to be entertaining because that's what Floyd does. But um, there is no guy with no real experience, no real championship pedigree going to be Floyd Mayweather unless they do it six, seven, ten years from now. It ain't happening this year. He still you, you has know. it. And, and, and yeah. the experience alone, if we see the difference in experience from Stipe versus Francis the first time, you're going to see the difference in experience from Floyd versus versus Logan. Yeah, the... the um, um you know he's going to be a he's going this is you know they say easy money right people say this easy yes. money this when when you say easy money this might be the easiest money in history this might be the easiest <laughs> whatever it winds up being 150 yes. 200 million this might wind up being the easiest money a, a dude's ever made uh, i'm going to let noah get i apologize noah but we've had our technical difficulties and i know you've been patient but one final thing i want to get into with with francis i could talk to you all day do we pick your brain we'd love to have you on again but in, in terms of francis Naganu's why in he's a nice he's a sweetheart of a guy outside of um, outside of the cage what is what is the why that's fueling him cuz he is a specimen and he's a hard worker but it's it's I don't have a firm sense of where he is mentally and what's driving him. What what what's driving this guy as a man? It's, it's funny you ask that question. Remember, you asked me about Mayweather. I said DNA, second generation, all these things. Where Francis, same sort of thing. DNA. Francis grew up digging dirt his whole life to pay for his school books to go to elementary school. 
you know, we talked about this this era being inflation before work. Well, Francis came from an era where you had to work or it was nothing. You you he had to work to go to school, man. I mean, how many of us if we had to dig dirt to pay for our textbooks and pencils? Well, we have even went to school. I probably wouldn't have about to dig dirt to go to fucking elementary school. So Francis is different. He was by doing all that hard manual labor at such a young age is what made him super strong. Um, he's, you know, he's crazy strong. But being confined in the in the village he was confined in, no one boxed, no one fought, no real technology like us spoiled Americans have. He dreamed. He had a real dream. And remember, we talked about aspiration turned to inspiration, which turned to motivation. That's exactly what happened to him. He seen the, the, the Mike Tyson video and said, wow, I want to be like this. He didn't start training until he was already, what, 23 years old? No, something like 26 years old. He was a grown man, digging dirt his whole life, working these these village type jobs and one day he said i'm sick of dreaming about this for the last 10 years i'm gonna do something about it and he walked to a different country on foot left this country and went through all these travels to get to finally get to went to morocco all these weird places finally get to france and finally walk in the gym as a homeless dude and started his dream what makes Francis different in his wow or his it thing was him not being afraid to put his life on the line to, to even start his dream. In America, we don't put our life on the line to start a dream. We got a coach around the block. We can talk to our auntie that got money in the suburbs and she'll pay Pop Warner to let us play football. He had to do it all, all his, you know, his own. On, on his own. Parents couldn't give him money because what he wanted was such an outrageous thing to even fathom. There was no one in this country doing it. So what make why Francis Ngannou is going to win that UFC championship and why he's going to be a legend and all of that is because he had the DNA. His The way he did manual labor made him physically strong so it was a blessing that he wasn't uh, he didn't grow up in some urban, you know, some suburban city where he didn't have to work that hard. It made him naturally strong. And his dreams, him imagining that I want to be a champion like Mike Tyson one day, made him leave on foot from his home and go through many countries to get to a different continent to, to be homeless in France and to still keep the motivation for that dream. I think we really underestimate what motivates people. And uh, him being a genetic freak with that type of mentality, not having any fear to step step off that cliff and maybe possibly end your life is special. I don't know if I could have did it um, because, you know, I grew up with a YMCA around the block. My brothers boxed. My dad boxed in the military. Fighting was easy for me to get to. I don't know if I if I'll be a fighter if I had to dig dirt my whole fucking childhood and then lead my family to go a different country with no friends, no one to meet there just to fight. So 
Despress as well. Him having the intestinal fortitude to really put his life on the line, not to be ordinary or a normal guy in his village. And that's that's real strength right there. You know, li listen to you talk, tell that story. I got emotional twice. I got emotional twice listening to this guy, how bad he wanted to to be something else. He had a little vision. Where those little visions, you know, you imagine the first time he watched a Tyson fight or something. You can imagine the guy, whatever village or whatever, he gets to watch a T he gets to somebody has a TV, he gets to watch Tyson. And you can imagine a a young guy there like watching Tyson and then boom. And then something changes in the guy's brain and it won't go away. And he says I kind of see me in that equation. I got to watch this guy fight, and I don't know why, but something's going off in my brain. And then he's digging holes, he's digging holes, and then it's like, well, wait, this little vision thing that, that I kind of have, this little spark is not going away. And then to get there, to get from where that vision is there, but then, like you said, to be brave enough, bold enough to walk away from everything you know, everybody you love, to walk into the unknown, to cross you know, country boundaries and not know if they'll throw you in jail or they'll send you back or they'll beat you, they'll beat you up, not knowing if you're going to have the hydration or the food to make it, not knowing where yes. your next meal's coming from, and yes. then to show up at a gym and then to actually get to where now you're in the conversation to rematch Miochik and now you're within striking distance of everything. It's like, for all that to happen for every step is is a, is is a, is a, it's amazing that a man can actually go from just I'm watching Mike Tyson on a TV and then to go from that moment that light bulb to actually be there within striking distance in 2021 where he could get is amazing and it's and it's uh it's also amazing to me that 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 Francis has retained that sweetheartness that loving way because yeah. a lot of people yeah. would, a we lot are. of people would become bitter bitter by that process you know yes. a lot of yes. people will be yes. bitter um yes. so do we can yes. we get can you have a great voice can we get a little uh, hold up hold up frank i got let me get in there real quick i want to sure. i want to detour you real quick all right yeah okay cuz I, I um do we i have a i have a favor i need to ask of you and you know if you don't want to do it that's fine but I want you to think about it like this. I'm going to mute Frank. I'm going to get some quiet from his end for a second. I'm going to mute myself. All right. And I want, as part of your legacy, a part of your living legacy that's going to go out on YouTube, there will be fighters 20 years from today who will hear your voice. Okay. And I want you to imagine they're there on the bottom and they've got someone just beating them, beating them. And they are in the fight or their life, maybe, if it's on the street somewhere, if they hear your voice years from now, 50 years from now, we want to put this in history books. Would you would you just say something to answer that and to be there and they will hear that? And if that's happening to them, they will hear your voice. They will hear your spirit. Uh, from that moment. I'm going to mute. And if you want to do that, I'm going to mute Frank and I and let you speak. Does that sound like an idea? Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, sure. yeah. All right. I'm going to mute.
to everyone who's been through adversity, especially talking from the fighter's perspective, you can't dig and summon something that you haven't really worked to create. Be honest with yourself, work extremely hard as you can, never take shortcuts, never cheat yourself. Um, and when those moments come, those difficult moments come, as long as you really prepared yourself, you can get through any situation. I truly believe hard work and dedication makes your fight night a celebration. And it doesn't mean you're always going to win, but you will always be respected by your efforts. And that's all we can do. People are judgmental. They're going to judge us the way they want to judge us. But what matters the most is how you feel internally. We can lie to everyone else, but we cannot lie to ourselves. We know if we've done the work that's needed. We know if we really worked hard. And we know if we're really, really dedicated to what we claim we're dedicated to. And if you are, there is no situation that are impossible. We see Muhammad, Muhammad Ali come back from adversity. In the William Cooper fight, he was out on his feet. We've seen him come back and win. We've seen guys like Arturo Gotti, bloody, busted, beaten, defeated, come back and win by KO. And in recent times, we've seen Habib against uh, Dustin Poirier. Looked like the fight was over. He's going to be choked out somehow, come back from that bleak moment of defeat. And Ali... Khabib, none of those guys are any more special than us. However, they worked harder than most of us. They dedicated their lives more than most of us, and they seek the benefits from that. If you quit, if you if you let uh, if you allow yourself to be conquered, that's something you'll never forget. It's not about a win or defeat. It's about how you're willing to work and push yourself beyond your physical abilities and push yourself to that moment to where you know you've given your all. And that's what it's about for me. That's why I tell all aspiring fighters, it's not about how you feel. It's about what you're willing to do. And always remember that. And I wish you the best. You all deserve to be great. Unfortunately, only few of you will be but work hard and never, never let what the exterior static uh, says about you define who you are. Only you can do that. And in my estimation, dedication, determination, discipline, devotion, desire, and drive will help you get there. And energy, effort, efficiency equals excellence. Always remember those few things and you will be successful in what you do. Black Cobra, wish you the best. Black Cobra Striking Systems, Dewey Cooper. Thank you very much. Noah. Frank. So, Dewey, Thanks. can you give us two, two things for you? Can you give us a little everyman, like, hey, welcome. This is everyman BJJ. I'm here with Frank Forza and Noah Green or something like that. Can you give us a, a okay. little? You got a great voice. Uh, you should, uh, you, should, be doing, you should be doing Hollywood voiceovers. <laughs> Frank Forza and Noah. Noah what? Well, what's the last name? Green. Green. Noah Green. Okay. And it's every every man's BJJ or not Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? I mean. Sorry about that. Every man BJJ. 
Okay, okay. Hey, what's up? This is Masters of Martial Arts Hall of Fame and Doug D. Dewey Cooper. And I want y'all one more time. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. God damn it. Everybody appreciate you. You're on the spot. I know. No agree. Do a BJJ podcast, right? Absolutely. Okay, Every man BJJ podcast. Hello. This is Dewey Black Cobra Cooper. I'm a two-time world champion kickboxer and 2008 Masters of Martial Arts Hall of Fame inductee. And you have been watching Every Man's BJJ with my man Frank Forza and Noah Green. Hey, ah. That was great. That was great. I'm gonna kill it, I'm gonna kill it. I'm gonna kill it. One more time, I'm gonna kill it. I'm gonna kill it. One more time, God damn it. This is good, it's good. It's good. Oh, let me get up. Let me get right. Okay, I'm ready. You're in my corner. Hey, what's up? This is Dewey Black Cobra Cooper, two-time world champion and 2008 Masters of Martial Arts Hall of Fame and Doug D. And you are listening to, you are tuned in, you are locked in to everybody's BJJ with my man Frank Forza and Noah Green. Check them out. That's good. Let's go with that. Now, now, Dewey, really quick, you started up your own gym, you and Bubba Jenkins, the, the, the yes, NCAA sir. wrestling champion, MMA fighter. You've yes, got sir. your own gym. You've got your own podcast now. Let's promote yes. that a little bit. Tell us real quick about how people can, 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 can visit that gym if they're interested, where they can find that, and tell us about how they can watch your podcast. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, as you guys see right here, my shirt says Black Cobra MMA. On the back, it says Team Relentless. Uh, Collegiate Wrestling Hall of Famer, Bubba Jenkins and I teamed up. We have a gym. Uh, it's called BK MMA Team Relentless. It's in Henderson, Nevada. Um, uh, at the Big Scary Gym, uh, I partnered up with, with, with this great guy, Rex, and we just made the new super gym here in Vegas. Um, so check us out, Big Scary Gym or BK MMA Team Relentless. Uh, we're excited about it. Our grand opening actually is January 30th, okay? So we'll advertise that. We're excited about it and all of that. Um, there's a new social media app called Zoo, T-S-U. Stands for the social universe. Um, they have live TV programming like a regular cable network within the social media platform called Zoo Live. And I have an hour uh, show uh, talking about fighting called Fight Night Talk with Dewey Cooper every Friday from 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Uh, East Coast time. Check me out. I have awesome guests on there. I'm definitely going to have Frank and Noah on there, too. Um, yeah, Zoo is the new app. It pays you for your post um, so you can make some money back for the things you post and you can keep your Facebooks, Instagrams, YouTube channels, everything you have is just an additional uh, social media platform, but you can make money off of your posts. Uh, it's really innovative and a brilliant way to post and it's a new social media platform. So we have to stay hip. Everyone's on TikTok. We might as well get on Zoo also. So I'm a show by Night Talk on Zoo Live. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, it's, it's good 
kicking it with you, Frank. Man, you are an awesome guy. Noah, it's nice meeting you, my brother. I look forward to the future. Uh, anytime you guys want to do an interview, especially when Francis or Kevin Lee or Keith Lee fight come up, I'll be happy to, to, to join you guys. And I'll try my best to get at least Keith Lee and Kevin on, on the podcast as well. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, Today's playoff you. day. My Pittsburgh Steelers about to beat the Browns. I'm hyped as football. My Baltimore Ravens got it done today, baby. We, we Baltimore Ravens. What's up? I watched got it. it. I watched it. Hey, Frank, on that fourth and oh. two, and then the receiver got the got the penalty. I know you almost faded. That fourth and two at the end of that game. I know you almost faded. <laughs> you know, it was it was a happy day, man. Hey, it might be. It might be Pittsburgh and Ravens. It might, it might. Well, no, I think we're going to KC because if yes. if if Cleveland if Cleveland were to win, they would play KC. But if Cleveland, you guys go to Buffalo. Win, we got to go to KC. Yes. So we could yes. we can only yes. see the Steelers. And and by the way, though, I got I got mad respect because this reminds me of the fight game where the the, the Steelers have made the Ravens a championship caliber organization. The Steelers forced yes. them. The Steelers set the bar. The Steelers showed the Ravens how you do it. So the, yes. the, Steel, the Ravens franchise would not be what it is without the Steelers doing their things and, and title town. And so anyway, I got mad respect for Steelers. Final thing, that Team Relentless, Team Relentless, that promo you guys did is really good. I like it. That's a very – for people yes. out there watching, dig, dig up yes. that Team Relentless promo with Bubba Jenkins and, and you. That promo yes. is very well done. So yes, thank pleasure. Thank you. And just know real fast, there's great gyms here in Vegas. Um, and, you know, I respect them all. Um, we're just in addition. Um, if you want to come get some inspired training, uh, guys are really going to work you hard and really try to help catapult you to whatever level you want to get to. And we're out there. We're available for you. Very, very high motivation area. You guys, Noah, great seeing you again, my Sunday. Happy Sunday. Dewey, thank you so much for a great interview, a lot of great jewels in there, and for making time for us. I really appreciate it. Busy busy guy. I really appreciate you doing it. Yep. And remember, I'm leaving for Abu Dhabi tonight. I'm leaving I'm leaving for Abu Dhabi for tonight. I have my fight at Dolce Champion fighting uh, the 20th in Abu Dhabi. Um, and I got to take my daughter to basketball practice now. So thank you, guys, and I'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, Bye. as – as always, every man, every man, BJJ, we're here at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern, and I will see you next Sunday. Take That's it for today's episode of Every Man BJJ. Thanks for listening. Look for new episodes of Every Man BJJ every week, wherever you get your podcast or at everymanbjj.com.